up to 70% off. That's right, at Court Furniture Clearance Center. Get up to 70% off new retail prices and choose from a wide variety of previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. All items are court certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Make the smart choice and visit one of our five locations in the DMV or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Troy Nunes is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. So, uh, yeah, we're 2-0, which is, I think, exactly where we thought we would be, though not at all in the method we thought we'd get there. Yes, uh, definitely happy to be where we are, but um, as always, Syracuse has found a way to make it, uh, you know, not maybe not terribly uh, dramatic. I, we kind of pulled away from Wake, you know, before it got too late in the game, but it definitely uh, took a circuitous route to being undefeated at this point. And it's a very good point. And I think, um, you know, circuitous is the right word just because um, while the first half looked, um, I wouldn't say forgettable, I think there were a lot of great things that happened in the first, but I think the second is really where people want to hone in on. And in particular, a few plays that really broke the game wide open. Um, now, I'm very happy to see us at 2-0. and I think we have a really good shot to be 3-0. and But where people need to maybe pump the bricks a little bit is the fact that, you know, most of the yards we picked up in the second half were on two big plays, an 89-yard touchdown pass um, from Dungy to Ishmael and then another 53-yarder, I mean, sorry, Dungy to uh, Esteem and then a 53-yarder from Dungy to um, Ishmael. So I think that, you know, again, while we did well and obviously the defense held their own um, later in the second half and shutting out Wake Forest, um, there's definitely... Um, a certain amount of tepidness that I still have, at least, um, based on, you know, just the fact that we don't really, uh, we don't really know what a full game from SU looks like yet. No, that's right. And, and if you've been on the site uh, the, or heard our podcast over the last couple of weeks, we've harped on explosiveness um, as uh, I know Bill, Bill Tonnelly has added it to his five major factors for winning college football games. And obviously when you have 53 and 89 yard touchdowns, um, your explosiveness looks pretty good. And I think Syracuse, unless they had what, uh, they've had like nine uh, plays of, or no, not seven of their nine touchdowns have come on plays of over 20 yards. And last year, I think the offense had like three or four total. Um, so obviously uh, I think this team does have a chance to be more explosive across the board than last year, which is uh, incre- actually would be, almost impossible not to be, but um, I think the question is if this is a sustainable uh, way for our offense to play or if it's just playing two weak opponents early on. Um, I don't know. I, we'll find that out as we go along, but um, yeah, I mean, I think I, it goes both ways where obviously wake out game Syracuse and you can say there weren't as many sustained drives and, and not a ton of plays ran, Um but if Syracuse hadn't stored, you know, in the first couple of plays of those two possessions, obviously those two things, those things might uh, have gone another way as well. So um, definitely a lot of good to take away. Um, but we're still really early on. We don't have a ton of sample size in terms of what this Syracuse offense will look like going forward. But at the same time, the team is so young that it should it should improve, um, even uh, just because of the 
even if the uh, the competition is going to ramp up in a pretty drastic way soon. Agreed. Um, so I guess just looking at some overall results, I mean, we're going to talk about Wake Forest a little bit before we get into Central Michigan. Um, what was your biggest takeaway from uh, from Saturday's victory? Obviously, a lot of great um, great points. A couple of things that we might want to, you know, not say negative, but you know, couch a little bit. I guess what's what's your biggest takeaway of all um, after watching the game? Uh, it's hard not to be impressed by Eric Dungey. Um, obviously, he only threw the ball 13 times. Um, and as, as I said, those two really quick drives are, are part of that. And we, we do want to get a little more balance to the offense. Because um, <laughs> it's kind of the opposite of where we were last year, where McDonald just would not run the ball. And then Luster didn't do much more of that either. Um, but he just he seems to have a ton of poise. And he just, I mean, even on that botched play that we heard about from Luster yesterday, where uh, Dungey put in the uh, misread the sign and, and somehow got to a play that didn't exist in the playbook. I assume what Lester meant there, by the way, because I know there was some confusions. I assume he meant that it wasn't in the game plan for this week because teams don't have their entire playbook uh, ready for for every game. Um, but either way, the fact that Dungey can mess up a sign and go out there and then make uh, a really crucial play um, when that wasn't probably what was uh, in the game plan at the time um, is really impressive. So he just he, he seems to have some of the intangibles that you look for in a quarterback. Um, he's still very, very young, and he's only thrown 30 passes through two games, so it's a little early to truly anoint him, but um, all the numbers that we do have on him are incredibly impressive. Uh, and it's a, unfortunately a little cliche to point out the quarterback. Uh, as the big takeaway, but it's, it's hard to really focus on anything before that because he's been such a big story that that's even starting to gain some national momentum, I think. Yeah, that's the crazy thing, to be honest. I know um, a couple of years ago when you know Terrell Hunt came in for uh, for Drew Allen against Wagner, lit them up, then lit up Tulane, um, we were talking about it, but I feel like there was minimal conversation going on outside of circles. Um, I feel like this year it's a much different situation with Dungy. We're seeing... Um, ACC blog on uh, ESPN has been talking about Dungy for a little bit. Um, I know we've seen the ACC in general has honored Dungy uh, with their you know Rookie of the Week, and it seems that their announcer is really really high on the kid. Um, obviously, Dan, everything you mentioned is a big big reason to be to be high on him um, and to really like what he brings to the table, especially this early. I mean, he's got the intangibles. I said it during the game. I mean, the kid just has like a ridiculous amount of swagger, um, and it's not even. Deep overuse a word that's already well overused but you could see it you could see that his confidence was infectious and it wasn't and it was infectious with his teammates it was infectious with the fans it was his own play he fed off that um and and that i mean while hunt it was a very confident player um and a senior leader um that type of swagger for lack of a better word never really um emanated as much as we saw in 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 that kind of you know, late third, early fourth um, situation where suddenly, you know, he went from freshman to, like, you know, seasoned veteran who really knew what he was doing and was just saying, you know, F you guys, I'm taking control of this game. Um, and I guess to me that was it, was, it was startling, but in a very, very good way. Right, and, and we saw, I mean, it's not like Syracuse has gone a while without playing a freshman last year. We threw a whole... Um, range of guys out there, and 
I mean, AJ Long is probably the closest in that like Florida State game where he performed above expectations. But overall, everyone else looked like a fresh, very much like a freshman. And while Dungey in the first half, especially in his last game, you know, took a little while to get in, in rhythm, he definitely has a, a unique poise that you don't always see. Um, obviously, that might change when Hell of Few comes to town. You have those kind of guys, those guys bearing down on him, or or when he goes to play uh, Florida State this year uh, in Tallahassee, but. It just does, it seems like he has um, the, the arm strength. It seems like he really has all the tools, and mentally he has the, the composition to succeed as a young quarterback in a, a power conference. Uh, and, and I hate to, like, obviously Trail Hunt's injury is really unfortunate, but, um, I mean, if Dungy just comes out of nowhere to be this guy that can turn into a four-year starter, Syracuse can really start um, pushing uh, towards you know, real improvement of the program because as important as, as bringing in talent across the board is and uh, coaching obviously is huge. Quarterback's been the bugaboo for this program um, for most of its existence. I mean, there's McNabb, there's McPherson, there's uh, a couple other guys here and there, but overall the quarterback play has been lacking. And, and aside from really one great year out of Ryan Aston, we haven't had a, a multiple year exceptional quarterback since McNabb. So if Dungy, I, I don't want to uh, make him something that he's not yet, but he does seem to be doing all and, and saying all the right things so far. And, and this is about as excited as I can remember the Syracuse fan base being about a player. Even the Hunt things where Hunt put up even like crazier numbers than the CCC beat. But it just seems like maybe it's because um, – there was, I mean, Hunt went down with an injury versus Drew Allen just being really bad. But um, there seems to be a, a strange amount of excitement. Uh, and, and it's a good thing. It's good to have the Syracuse fans uh, pretty uh, amped up, and hopefully that uh, will translate to a couple more of them coming out this, uh, this next couple weeks. Yeah, and you know what? You brought up a good point with um, you know going up against the bigger teams, the better teams, faster teams up front, uh, LSU in particular, Clemson, uh, Florida State for sure. Um, three opponents that stick out right away. Um, what's very interesting to me, and I was, as I was sitting there listening to you, I was thinking, okay, like, you know, it's obviously those big hits, but then I remembered, you know what? Those big hits, and this goes back to what Lester was saying in, in the article on Syracuse.com, was that his mistakes, he learned so quickly on the fly. While he took maybe two big hits, one of them was an option, so it was sort of by design. Um, took two big hits, one there, and then the blindside sack, um, in the first half, he didn't really get hit in the second half at all. Um, you know, he, like, even when he felt pressure, he was able to move away from it. He might have gotten dinged a little bit, but beyond that, I mean, even his slides were smarter. Everything looked smarter, and, and to see someone so cerebral, um, especially at this age, and, and so quick to adjust and adapt their playing style for, for what was necessary and to really take care of their body uh, when it came to, you know, you know throwing on the run, just straight up running the fact that we can you know have a freshman in there a true freshman with design runs like this um you know is really really encouraging so yeah again you know it's not to pile on or or deem him as a savior it's more just to say like so far based on two games worth of action i really like what we see um and it's the type of thing that you know if he's going to grow at this rate um and and be as as intelligent um just on the field as it seemed like he is so far. Um, I think we're in for a real treat this season. That's right. And you brought up him throwing on the run. And, and I think 
he does the little things so well for a quarterback where usually you think like play action fakes and set really selling fakes and making sure to know when to slide and not take a necessary hit. Um, throwing on the run seems to be something he's really good at. I mean, his best throw so far has been avoiding the pass rush and just putting throws on, on the money um, and, and hitting receivers and stride down the field where they can make a play. He seems to be a, way farther ahead in those little, those smaller parts of the game where most freshman quarterbacks, you know, get by with the seed, get by with mostly arm talent and maybe a little bit of a early ability to read defenses. It seems like somebody's picking up the little takes even quicker than you would expect from an 18-year-old. Very much so. And it's funny, too, because I know I think we wanted the pass game to improve, and it was pretty clear it was going to have to just based on how bad it was last year. But um, the one thing that I guess people are still kind of, you know, TBD on, and I think that's probably just because of how these games have gone. One was a blowout. The other one was a was only had about 50 plays run. Um, the run game. Now, the run game's been effective, but I wouldn't say we've been raving about it. Do you think that's fair, or do you think it's just a product of that we've we just keep plugging in different bodies, and, and at the end of the day, the scoring plays are still largely dependent on um, either explosiveness, which, again, is new for us under the Schaefer regime, or uh, a lot of them are, are via pass. Um, I think people like to see big numbers with the run game. Um, I know for a while we had a, a 200,000-year back, which is fun. Which is fun. Um, overall, it's been fine. Uh, I mean, it's a little inflated by the end of the Rhode Island game where we were running Jacob Hill, um, non-stop and gets up 75 yards. But, I mean, uh, you have guys like Fredericks who's had a big game already. Jordan Morris, um, he, his numbers are better than what he looks like he's done on the field, but I mean, he is averaging six and a half, six and a half yards a carry. Um, obviously, Strickland only got a, a couple touches so far, um, and McFarland just kind of eased in. But uh, overall, the numbers have been fine. Um, it just I think people are more comfortable when you have a – a designated running back one who will, you know, take, what, 55, 70% of the carries, and it's easier for them to project um, kind of the feeling of, of having an effective run game on that than it is this kind of piecemeal thing we've done so far. Um, but we also have played, you know, only one game with Farland, who's supposed to be the, the top running back, and then and Frederick's only got a, a handful of touches his last game. So it, it'll be interesting to see how things shake out going forward. Um I really love how Sparkers managed against uh, Rhode Island. I'm hoping he can do a little bit more than the six carries for 20 yards or 21 yards this week uh, going forward. But um, I think it will mostly be by, by committee going forward. And I think it should be at least fairly decent. Um, I think we have enough talent back there. And it's a veteran offensive line that seems to be doing pretty well so far that the running game shouldn't be too much of a concern. Yeah, I, I, you know what, I think with McFarlane, I really like what we saw in game one. I think that, you know, while uh, it might be a, a younger front, I feel like for Wake Forest, everyone was pretty high on them to start. It was nice to see us kind of gash right through them. Um, not to say that that's anywhere comparable to the, you know, host of, of NFL talent that's on LSU, but um, it's good to see something like that. Um, a lot of people were really hard on George Morris, Um after the first two games, and you know, we had a couple like nice kind of home run, uh, you know, gains. But other than that, he's 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 just kind of clipped away. I mean, a lot of people were pretty hard on him, especially compared to the gains that Fredericks um, and McFarland are allowed to pick up. Do you think it's fair? Do you think Morris 
I think more is expected of Morris, given that he's been in this offense for a few years now. It's weird because, like, he, he came in as a pretty heralded recruit, and for whatever reason, he hasn't really targeted his mark. And, like you said, he's had a couple decent games, but he hasn't really broken, you know, consistent plays. Like, Fred was able to do this Rhode Island where he was dashing them, like, over and over. It seems like he's, you know, an eight-yard eight run here and then, like, a couple three-yard runs. And then he hasn't really come together, like, a signature series where it looked like, oh, this guy can really dominate a team on the ground on a good day, or, or and he hasn't broken out a, a huge touchdown yet or anything. So it's probably a bit unfair because he's kind of just an half carry, like I said. Um, he did have that 34-yard run, which colors things a bit. But I think he almost needs to have, like, a big moment, like we've seen from, from Frederick, we've seen from Strickland with the, the great run. Um, even Ben Lewis has a nice option, and, and – and dungeon through the air in a couple of years. So, over that's coming for him. Um, but, if he, I mean, the production doesn't really lie. It's just it, it's been very quiet. Right. Um, so moving on a little bit, um, again, just kind of making our rounds around the team. Uh, offensive line, it was one thing that we were chatting about during the game a little bit afterward. Um, I don't think it's apropos of anything just yet, but what I have seen is that uh, the right side of the line seems very, very good at pass protection. Not as much um, in terms of, uh, of the run. Um, I know we saw most of the, the, the big gains on the ground coming on the left side um, while some of the better pass plays are actually happening on the right. Um, and I don't believe the right side let up a sack, though I didn't necessarily keep track of that um, statistic. Uh, Dan, do you feel that this is something that's caused for maybe a little bit of concern? Do you think it's something that opposing teams are going to start keying in on now that we're two games in and it seems like uh, it was a little bit like this in game one and then game two, it was a very strong shift toward um, more production on the ground on the right side, uh, on the left side versus the right? Um, ideally, I mean, you want to be able to run to both sides. I have noticed that on a number of different levels, you do kind of see uh, a lot of teams overloading one side where they know they can kind of dominate and just challenge teams to, um, you know, force them to overload whether it's a run lift or, or putting their best, uh, shifting over their best run stoppers. Um, so I don't think it's totally out of, like, uh, crazy for Syracuse to be doing the same thing by having uh, Foy and Robinson over there. Um but it, it, I think it makes me feel a little better that the right side is holding up the pass section because uh, obviously that's where things can really get derailed. But you do want to see uh, the guys on the right uh, be able to get a similar push because you, you can't just run. I don't, I don't know if you have the breakdown for the two games so far of what the uh, runs right or runs left are, but you can't just totally rely on one side, um, even if there is one that's significantly stronger uh, across the board. Yeah, I don't have the full, full breakdown. I know we're not, I mean, it's not to the point yet where it's like, oh, geez, every time we run to the right, it's a one-yard gain, and every time we go to the left, it's seven. But I guess I was just starting to take a look, and not that I, I doubt what Seamus Shanley can do um, at the right guard position, but I am curious if, especially against the run, teams are loading up and trying to hit, you know, the more the less experienced right side of our line um, versus the left side that has a lot more experience, a lot more time. I mean, you're looking at Robinson, Foy, and Trudeau, all guys who have spent a ton of time 
um, on that line already and, and guys who, who have been through the ringer for a season or two uh, versus the right side that's a little less experienced. Right, and hopefully uh, we have Austin and Trudeau, who I know have both been somewhat of an uh, injury question this week, quietly. Uh, hopefully that's not something we can wake up on Saturday and find out that one of the disasters. I think Trudeau would be a pretty devastating loss. Yeah, I, I mean, I know we talked about this um, on the blog. I know the Syracuse.com guys have said the same thing. It's puzzling why we have such an air of secrecy and, and just kind of non-sharing around injuries with this team. Um, in, in general, I, uh, I'm very worried about, you know, whether he can go. I think in Central Michigan, I'm not as worried. I think Chase Nemer can do fine. Um, and I think Paris Bennett, I mean, sorry. Josh Paris. That's what happens when you have Paris names all over your team. Um, I think Josh Paris can, not that he's a bad player, but that he can be replaced uh, with Kendall Moore. Um, I think Moore possesses similar athleticism. Um, I don't think tight ends are used enough in the passing game in general for that to you know matter a ton. But um, you know, let's hope that Trudeau can can be back. If not this week, then the following week for LSU when. Uh, his presence, I think, will be more critical than just about any other players um, in terms of whether or not SU has any shot to win the game. Yeah, and like you said, I think it's, it's kind of a bizarre thing for them to really make a you know, big secret set of injuries, especially the linemen uh, and centers. Like if, if Rob Trudeau is out, it's not going to be a secret for more than a play. Um, and it's not like Emmerich is going has a lesser skill that you know he, he's not as good. I'm assuming he's not as good because he's not starting. But it's not like there's something that we can do with Trudeau that we shouldn't be able to do with Emmerich. It's not like Emmerich can't stop and snap like we've seen in the past with some other guys. Or um, I mean, the one person who had like a unique skill set center position was probably Mackey because Mackey could pull, which is crazy um, from the center position, which opened up a lot of different counters and and traps and things like that. that Probably few many other teams in football could have run because the centers were not Mackin Pearson. But uh, with Judo and Emmerich, it's just, you know, they're two centers. One probably better, stronger, knows the place better. But it doesn't really change uh, the style or anything. So, I mean, if he's hurt, just, just say it. Like, I, I don't get what they're accomplishing from that. Um, if it was a receiver or a running back and they have, like, a bang up knee or something that could be targeted, I get that to a point. But uh, the whole thing just is built to me. Yeah, I, I guess what I just don't get is is that it's not just the secrecy, but it's the secrecy directly with media, and they almost like daring media to call them on it. I know that um, you know when asked about injuries, Schaefer seemed to think it was weird that people were asking about them. Um, you know, after both Paris and Trudeau looked like they could have been at least minorly hurt. Um, during the Wake Forest game, and then just hours later, we find out they weren't in practice. So it, it's it's this like wacky espionage. It's not even it's not even gamesmanship with the opposing team. It's with the local media, <laughs> and I, I don't I don't get it. We've we've discussed like what's go, like why is there this adversarial relationship when there doesn't need to be? Um, it's weird, but, but I think most importantly, I just hope that um, you know we see as much of the the full team out there as we can obviously you know no hunt and phillips already 
would just kind of suck, especially in the offensive end, to lose anyone else um, unnecessarily. Yeah, I remember when we said that, uh, you know, our injury rock would probably be a lot better this year because last year it was so horrific. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess uh, shifting to more positive things. Uh, the, uh, the defense... Um, I you know posted something on the site today, which for people listening to the podcast yesterday, um, turnovers we've managed to minimize them on our end. Just one uh, that first uh, pick by Hunt um, against Rhode Island, and on the other end, I mean we forced seven turnovers already. We had twenty total last year, so we're already a third of the way there. Um, and the fact of the matter is, we're not just you know. We're not just forcing turnovers, but we're scoring on them. We're either setting up scoring opportunities or we're scoring with them. I know, uh, you know, only I believe it's Marshall has managed to score, um, I think, three touchdowns on picks somehow. Uh, we scored two. Um, I believe Miami has also scored two. Uh, but yeah, we're right up there. We're tied for first right now um, in FBS with Cal, San Diego State, Miami. All have seven takeaways. Um, it's really encouraging to see. Uh, a team that you know just just seems like we've had real shit luck with uh, with turnovers, um, at least in terms of you know balancing the ones we get versus the ones that we end up giving away. Um, it's great to see the pendulum swing a little bit in our direction um, so far this season. And it's been a really big part of um, you know these collection of little things that we've talked about um, that have really helped SU get to a, a more encouraging 2-0 start between the turnovers, uh, minimal penalties. Uh, we've only had, what, I think seven through two games. Um, and then, you know, those the special teams improvement and then the little things uh, that we've seen from Dungy um, that have kind of been absent for a few years in the quarterback position. Not that that takes anything away from Hunt, but just pointing out some different skill set, uh, you know, traits. Um, in general, it just seems like the little things are helping swing the pendulum in a big, big way. Yeah, and especially on the defensive end, when we're playing this kind of aggressive, uh, a little bit of a bend and break, but also trying to force big plays, it's not just the sacks, but you really need to generate those turnovers, especially if Syracuse insists on playing their cornerbacks on, on 10-yard deep islands every game, which I, I really hope we take a look at and, and start to reel in a little bit because it almost cost in the game against Wake and if Brent didn't get hurt, it might have. Um, but the turnovers are, are something that this, this defense is kind of designed to do and it hasn't always happened. And I know there's a little bit of randomness involved, especially when you get in, into fumbles where the recovery of a fumble is, is pretty much like a 50-50 proposition a lot of the time. Um, but interceptions especially, it's nice that we have guys who are going up and making plays in the ball and and forcing these takeaways, and, and that really allows this defense to kind of work as designed, where in years past we've, you know, given up the big chunk pass plays and then also never really had a chance to get after the quarterback as well as we'd like or uh, to make plan the ball. So if that goes on all year uh, and we continue to have the solid offensive play, this team could really uh, kind of be something. But obviously we have to see it against teams that are, are a little better than you are in week, although – I will contend. I think Wake. Um, I think you'd, you'd agree. Wake was probably better than than we thought they would. I, I don't think they're a bowl team or anything, but I think they're a, at least a game team that can step up and challenge teams uh, for a couple quarters. Um, definitely a better team than they were last year. 
Oh, a much, much better team. And I think that this team more resembles um, kind of the, the toughness that they put up against uh, a team like Virginia Tech last year. Um, they had a couple other games, too. Uh, I don't have their schedule in front of me. But there were a couple games last year where you just saw an improvement right off the bat um, from the previous season. And I think this year, too, you're going to see a lot of that. Um, they're a team that can actually move the ball on offense. They're a team that can hang tough on defense. Uh, I mean, Dave Clawson, while I think uh, I was kind of noncommittal on him for the most part, um, just whether I liked him or not, um, before this game, and I think hearing all the bitching and moaning from him and the general like excuse-making, uh, definitely trending toward negative, uh, which, again, weird, but these things happen um, when you're you know, three years into a conference and you're latching on in different ways to like or, or dislike um, opponents. I think that, you know, he is. He was right in some ways that they really were only a few big plays away from this being a one-possession game or even a win. Um, and that's nothing. that doesn't take away from us either. Uh, I think we did a great job. We executed on the plays that were necessary offensively and defensively, and that ultimately delivered the win. But I think if Wake um, can, you know, see the other side of the coin in terms of that luck dilemma, um, that's where, you know, they're going to grab a win. And it might not be... Um, this year that they pulled a big upset, but they're much, much closer than they were last year um, to knocking off a big team. Yeah, and they might be a couple years away from that because they they are in a really large-scale rebuild, but um, I think it's good. I think uh, you want, overall, obviously Syracuse would like to have a bunch of winnable games every year, and I don't think Wake is ever going to be uh, a team that is an L off the bat, but um, you also want your conference to look uh, at least strong to the outside, and, and the ACC obviously has a bit of a perception issue, uh, which has been warranted some years and, and totally not warranted in others. But um, it'd be nice if, if the the ACC became kind of a, a thing that, that rose all ships and, and that Wake and Syracuse and kind of be doing what ACC has done in recent years or NC State's kind of smoke and mirrors its way into where they're always thought of as at least solid bowl contenders who could maybe jump up and do a little bit more and then maybe make a run at something greater every couple, every uh, five, ten years. So um, obviously I want Syracuse to stay a decent amount ahead of Wake, but it's not the worst thing in the world if across the board the ACC is thought of as stronger. So hopefully they, uh, and I also have, you know, family connections and, and everything else and, wouldn't, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if we had a nice little rivalry that wasn't like the bottom of the division, uh, you know, rivalry that everyone wants to point towards and laugh at. Yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, Wolford, and this speaks to what you were saying before about the four-year quarterback. Um, you know, Wolford's in his second season, was a true freshman last year. Suddenly, like, you know, they're at least establishing a bedrock of a program that's going to continue to improve. I think we can do the same. Um, I know you said... You know, it's good to see the rest of the ACC not suck. I used to say that uh, <laughs> when I was writing about the entire ACC. Now I've actually trended more toward the, you know, just F the rest of the conference. Obviously, you want to have some teams hanging around, uh, but without the threat of conference realignment, the conference pride thing has definitely died down a little bit. Um, I think around the country, there's definitely a certain amount of hanger-ons that will still happen, and I think SEC in particular, but... You're not seeing a ton of Pac-12, um, you know, teams latching onto one another. Same with the Big 12. I think the ACC is going to trend the same way, especially for you know folks like us who spent a couple years, um, you know, during those realignment times, just hoping that the ACC would continue to succeed, um, that we'd be jumping onto a safe raft instead of a sinking one. 
Um, and now, I, yeah, at this point, like I was, I thought it was hilarious when Louisville lost to Auburn, and then I thought it was even more hilarious when they lost to uh, Houston. You know, I I don't really care if Clemson loses every game. <laughs> this is, to me, this has become because of the stability um, around conference movement. It's become much more enjoyable for me to to root against teams that while we don't have you know heated rivalries with on the field, it's fun to root against. Um, in terms of SU being able to maybe rise past a couple of them. Yeah, and on a micro level, obviously, watching, you know, if Clemson goes and loses to uh, Wake Forest later in the year, I will be I will be jumping for joy and laughing and posting lots of mean things on the internet. So uh, I do agree that I don't, I don't think it's the biggest thing in the world, um, the whole conference pride thing, which I think the SEC overblows to, like, a ridiculous extent. Um, but yeah, it was more, more of a stability thing, uh, and a, you know, if Syracuse is ever in a position to do big things nationally, I'd like it to, you know, at least look as good as it is rather than, oh, who cares who wins eight games in the ACC or nine games in the ACC. Agreed. I think that's a great way to, uh, send us to halftime. Um, Dan, what have you been drinking for the last week? Um, going through it now, uh, I, we talked about it a little bit last week. Um, I got to try Valley Point's Habanero Sculpin. Uh, I think you said it, it probably wasn't as good as the regular or the grapefruit, which I did agree with. It's also, I, I thought it's both a, a very interesting beer and I, I think a pretty good one objectively, but it's also not one I probably want to drink more than one or maybe two of at a time. It's, it's, very much a, a niche thing, um, but I think for a pepper beer, which is often a really iffy proposition, it does it quite well, um, balancing those flavors and bringing in the heat at the end, but not making it something that's too ridiculous. Um, I had uh, Omegang's uh, BPA, their Belgian-style pale ale, which is uh, not the best Omegang thing, but, you know, really rock-solid drink, super, super drinkable. Um Pretty much anything from Mobile Gang is going to be at least pretty good. And then I had for the first time uh, this fall uh, a couple of Southern Tier Pumpkins, which is one of my favorite beers, as you will all know, having listened to this podcast for uh, since last fall, hopefully. Um, and while some will mock uh, pumpkin beers for being out from like August to February now, I will drink many, many a pumpkin throughout the football season, and I was happy to get started on that uh, on Sunday. So, excited for more of those. Yeah, I mean, the, I'm not a huge pumpkin beer fan, personally, uh, mostly because I feel like they're definitely on the darker and heavier end. Southern California never really gets cold, so it never really is pumpkin beer season, necessarily. But that said, uh, pumpkin is my one exception. Uh, we don't get it out here, but I am in North Carolina around the holidays every year, um, and I find ways to drink it at least a few times every fall, uh, which is great. Uh, a couple things that I was drinking, um, and by a couple I mean more than that, uh, last week um, had... And the picture of this one I sent you, Dan, uh, called Black Kisses from uh, Monkish. It's uh, kind of a sour with uh, blackberries and uh, black currants. And really, really, really enjoyable drink. Um, had that over it again, Monkish. Um, took a quick Uber over there um, after work on Friday. It was really nice to just kind of get out, hang out. Um, 
had Smog City's uh, Imperial Red, California Love. Uh, they had a big release party for it on Tuesday, and I showed up days later to still enjoy some bottles of it. Um, had some Hop Tonic, grabbed a growler of that over at Smog City. Um, and then, after the New York Giants decided to try to murder me on Sunday, I had a bottle of Bottle Logic's Recursion 5.0 IPA and uh, the brewery's uh, beret. It's a raspberry sour. Just a really, really um, 9.9% alcohol, but don't even taste like it. Doesn't even taste like that at all. Um, it's not you know overly sharp, not overly sour. It's just like a really smooth drink. I thought it was one of their better beers, and I wish it was a year-round. Um, selection and one that was more generally available because I do really think uh, could be a staple of theirs. Yeah, uh, I'm all for raspberry sours and uh, sounds like a pretty good list. I'm always a little bit jealous of the ridiculous array that you try to bring to the table on a weekly basis. <laughs> yeah, I... Uh... <laughs> I drink a lot of beer, and it's kind of one of the things I do with my time and money. So yeah, I'd, I'd say if I were you, I would definitely hit up Aaron um, for some recommendations locally. I know uh, we had a good time the last time I was out in New York, so finding, I think, places like that, just in general, like knowing a couple, and this is for anybody, not just you, um, knowing a couple of good bottle shops and just like a place that... You know, anyone that you, a bottle shop where you can get some, get a rapport with people um, that work there and will start telling you about things that are there or, you know, joining a beer society. I know there's not as many on the East Coast um, as there are out here, but joining a beer society, like, uh, you know, I'm uh, in the breweries. It's, it's a great way to get a lot of great things, meet some cool people, um, start trading for things here and there. So, yeah, all, uh. All fun stuff, all great to uh, to enjoy, and I know I'm trying to, I, I always drink local, but I'm trying to get as much of the uh, South Bay, LA beer experience as possible. It's actually one of the hotbeds around here for uh, for beer, so trying to do as much as I can to enjoy all of it. A noble pursuit, indeed. <laughs> all right, so before we jump into Central Michigan... Um, we couldn't have a podcast without talking about the Rutgers dumpster fire. Yeah, that happened today. I mean, it's been happening, but this was like the the excellent, not even exclamation points, like the first of many exclamation points on what has just been a complete and utter shit show. Um, Rutgers, for those who weren't paying attention for some odd reason, um, they're screwed. Uh, Kyle Flood's definitely fired soon. I uh, don't know when, but soon. As soon as they fill, as soon as they finish the uh, Kickstarter, <laughs> yeah, they don't have any money, so so any sort of buyout is going to be entertaining. Though I'm pretty sure you could make a case for breach of contract if you wanted to. Um, he's basically the worst spy ever. Um, he cannot, in any way, shape, or form, engage in nefarious activities uh, without pointing every finger to himself. He, I would recommend Ryan Nanny's a uh, pretty excellent list of dumbest things about. Uh, the Kyle Flood report over on Every Day Should Be Saturday um, on the SB Nation Network. But uh, one of the dumbest ones was the fact that uh, Kyle Flood thought if he didn't wear Rutgers gear while inappropriately talking to a professor about changing grades, that no one would recognize him. 
Yeah, when this whole thing first broke a couple years, uh, not years, it feels like years, because it's, you know, just a never-ending list of things for Rutgers, but a couple weeks, maybe two months ago, um, when we found out about the him contacting a professor over Nadir Barnwell's grades, um, it seemed like, you know, maybe he did something, there was a chance that he did something that was, you know, a little shady and overstepping his bounds, but... It also seems like Rutgers has been looking for, especially since the uh, new AD came in, has been looking for a way to get rid of Kyle Flood no matter what. And he just keeps on winning just enough to make it hard to justify because it's not like Rutgers has a long history of success to fall back on and say, oh, you know, we should be doing this. Um, Kyle Flood's pretty much been an extension of the Dredd years, and the Dredd years are the best years for Rutgers. Um, But as it turns out, it wasn't this, like, pseudo- you know, just uh, incompetent um, thing where he made a mistake and it, it looks, you know, bad. He, <laughs> this was a long, drawn-out process that Flood, for whatever reason, felt like he needed to undertake himself and not have, like, an assistant or, or a designated fall guy or any of the other things that usually go along with uh, college football cheating. Flood just really felt strongly about this one and had to take it on himself. And the Rutgers system worked to a T because no one was having any of it. And there's just all this evidence that Flood thought he could cover up in the most half-assed ways ever. It's just, the whole the whole report's amazing. Um, him trying not to wear clothes, him being like, hey, this super secret conversation we were having is secret and no one should hear about it. Uh, or I'm sending this from a personal email because I don't want anyone reading. It was like he was narrating like, hey, here's the rule I'm breaking. Here's why I'm breaking it. Don't tell anyone. But also, uh, this is all getting written down. I know. I got it. Right. Like, like here's, a, here's a dialogue on the most, like, amazingly awful ways to cheat. And I, I don't understand. I don't understand what would made him think, hey, yeah, like, maybe I, sh- like, maybe I shouldn't leave a paper trail. Or, you know, the fact that I'm doing this on devices owned by a state university. Like, that can easily be, you know, obtained via the Freedom of Information Act. Like all of these things are are stunning, um, and it's it's so off season. And I guess that's what makes it so Rutgers is the fact that uh, the biggest story around them this season and probably for the next several years, because no one will care about their football program by the end of this, not like anyone did to begin with, um, is the fact that that they are just so hilariously bad. Um, and I, I'm I'm enjoying this a lot. Um, as someone who had to suffer through um, the Shiano years when I was a student at Syracuse um, and then had to see some of it afterward and had to see last year um, after we predicted they would tank in the Big Ten for them to go out and kind of throttle North Carolina um, in a bowl game, look like an eight-win team, look good, um, to have everything really collapse. And it's going to be collapsing for several seasons now um, for Rutgers. Just very satisfying. It's just, it's, it's like, I, I've seen, there, there have been worse cheating scandals, like a number of them. There have been way worse things across the board, but I don't know if I've ever seen such incompetence. And it really tickles me um, because, you know, we do have this mostly internet, but also at this point recruiting rivalry with Rutgers that doesn't seem to be going away on either side. Um, just the whole thing. It, it's... 
when when you you feel bad about Syracuse because of things, and we you know we have we all hope that Sasha Schaefer succeeds, but we uh, you know we have our complaints about him. Nothing comes close to what what is in this one report. Um, it really trumps like pretty much every off the field thing. Uh, in terms of like silliness uh, that happens at Syracuse, and Syracuse is no stranger to these types of like ridiculous deaths. But uh, Flood just is a one man. He's like he's like Mr. Magoo. He's just falling over the pl- all over the place and stumbling through glass doors. Uh, he, uh, it's amazing that he was able to guide this football team to multiple bowl games, and I almost think he did it in spite of himself. So maybe Rutgers should be like awarded extra wins for that. Yeah, I mean, this is this is an SNL skit. Of, like, uh, it's it's high comedy. We've seen cheating. We've seen incompetence. Th- th- this is this is entertaining, funny incompetence that um, you know other dysfunctional programs uh, just can't even uh, hold a candle to. So again, uh, gonna enjoy the, uh, the the steep downfall of Rutgers, and hopefully that leads to a nice uptick in New Jersey recruiting for Syracuse. Yeah, I mean that was that's, you know, you don't like to immediately go to that, but it's not all that serious. It's one guy doing a stupid thing and didn't even get away with it. So, yeah, I'll gladly take uh, a couple extra recruits from Jersey. Although, to be honest, Syracuse wasn't having a lot of difficulty poaching Jersey recruits from Rutgers up to this point anyway. So, hopefully that continues. Very true. Um, I guess wrapping us up here. Well, not wrapping us up completely. We still got about twenty minutes. But um, closing out with Central Michigan. What's uh what's your take, Dan? You think? I mean, assuming that we have Trudeau, assuming that we have uh, Josh Paris, or even if we don't, um, what's this matchup going to look like on Saturday? Um, I think it'll be closer than last year. I think uh, Hunt really dominated that game last year and was a, a super mismatched nightmare for their defense. Um, and for all of the good things Eric Dungy does, he's not the same kind of. Uh, bowling ball type power runner that Hunt is. So we're going to have to win in a different way. Um, and I do think Cooper Rush is pretty good. He's he's completing 70% of his passes. He's not the most efficient guy in the world, but he's been pretty successful against uh, a couple of... Um, hold on, I forgot who they played last week. They, uh, Monmouth. Sorry, they played Monmouth last week, which, <laughs> you know, whatever. But they they hung in that Oklahoma State game. Um, I know it was at home, and it was it seemed like a pretty good atmosphere, but uh, Oklahoma State was like a not not really a, a favorite, or but they were like a sleeper. Like this team could be in the upper echelon of the Big Twelve heading into the year, and maybe they're not that, but they they should be a team that goes into Mount uh, into Central Michigan and wins about as easily as Syracuse did last year, and they had a hell of a time doing it. So I think this team could be pretty uh, pretty feisty. Um, obviously, I think there's a talent differential that we saw last year. Um, and we just got to hope that Eric Dungy doesn't have like all of his freshman moments in one game. Um, if he continues to play the way he has, if we get, you know, hopefully some more consistent play from the backfield and can establish the run, which we gashed them with last year, uh, I think this should be a comfortable Syracuse win, but I'm not expecting a repeat of whatever it was last year, like 40 to three. Yeah, I'd agree there. Um, I think you're right. Pointing out the difference in run styles. I still think that, um, where SU probably has a bigger advantage this year um, than they did last year. Um, not power running, but in terms of speed on the outside. Um, even without Eric Phillips, I think there's enough speed with, uh, with Esteem and Ishmael and Ben Lewis 
and obviously Eric Dungy. Um, you know, if Wake, which has some better athletes out there, especially at the linebacker position, um, you know, wasn't really able to put a put a spy on Dungy because of his passing, I'd be very surprised to see um, if Central Michigan can do the same. I mean, they do have a little bit more of a well, it's a mix, really, uh, a more senior linebacking corps, but. I, I do think the speed is going to be the the key factor here, and it's one that just really didn't play in last year with a dysfunctional offense um, and a largely power run game led by uh, led by Hunt. Um, what I'm trying to get a read on, and, and this is this is the difficult part for SU fans, you know, two games in, is every team that we're we're looking how we match up against, and we stack up against. A lot of them have an FCS win on their record, like we do. The stats are inflated. Um, you know, I wanted to see how Oklahoma State would respond. And you know, Oklahoma State, uh, I believe they're hanging either in the top 25 or outside the top 25 by a few votes. Um, I just don't know. I don't know what they are yet. And I think everyone just kind of, I mean, they're one of those schools that over the last five to seven years, it just turned into a, yeah, I mean, I guess they're they're four and one, five and one. I guess they deserve some votes. They're one of those. And it's uh, it's interesting to me, um, I guess, where they kind of shake out. Um, obviously, we won't know anything more until SU wraps up its game against Central, but um, would be great if we had a little bit more of a reference point for the Cowboys. Yeah, uh, it's they're they're kind of a mystery team, like we said, and, and even last year they were kind of the same way, where they were. I think they what one came out like five and zero, and then lost a bunch of games in a row, and then beat Oklahoma, and then won their bowl. I think that was how their season went. They went five and zero five losses and then two wins to end the year, including the ridiculous Bedlam game. So um, it, it, they are a hard one to base your, you know, project off of when it comes to Central Michigan. Um, at the same time, Central Michigan also didn't really blow out Monmouth, although it's hard to really read in to the difference between like a 31 to 10 FCS win or, you know, we saw Wake beat a really bad Elon team, 31, nothing. And we beat Rhode Island by a bunch, but you know, is there a huge difference between those and, 60-point wins, uh, maybe if there was, like, a longer sample size. But overall, um, we're kind of going in. We have a slight idea of what this team looks like, but a lot of the guys last year that were good for them are gone. And looking at last year's box score, the most effective players were Adonis Mean Moore, Terrell Hunt, and Irv Phillips, none of which will be playing uh, this week. I almost think this might be a, just based on the power running game that kind of beat them up last year. I almost think... Um, this might be another Jordan Fredericks week since he is the closest thing to that power back that we have on the roster. Yeah, that's something that you and I brought up when we were talking about the uh, the preview of the season is that we don't have that power runner. I don't think it's going to hurt us against Central Michigan as much. Um, maybe not against most of the teams on the schedule, but um, if we start getting into short yarded situations more often, I know for the most part our third downs... Um, have been a little bit longer yardage. I don't have the exact numbers there, but I feel like we'd probably face third and five much more often than third and two. Um, I think if we see some more goal line stands, those are things that, uh, you know, not really having a true power back is probably going to hurt us a bit. Um, knowing this team, they'll probably just send Dungey over the top, or knowing Dungey, he'll just send himself over the top. <laughs> but I, I think that it's something to watch out for uh, going forward. Um, looking at Cooper Rush, who is very clearly the, the top playmaker in um, Central Michigan, um, while he throws for a lot of yards, he's a very uh, accurate passer. Uh, just three touchdowns, two picks. Um, and that, to me, says 
is beatable. Um, it doesn't mean he's bad. It just means that, you know, for a Syracuse team that has been able to not only generate um, picks from the corner position, uh, you know, I know, uh, what's his name? Corey Winfield is able to pick up two. One of them was in garbage time. Um, but to have, you know, defensive end return an interception for a touchdown, uh, to have linebacker interception, you know, these are this is a team that can generate interceptions from a lot of different parts of the field, and I think that that plays into Rush, who may not be mistake-prone, but can commit errors. Yeah, I'm just looking through their box stores now. They really haven't stored much on offense in general. They, on Oklahoma State, it was, it was two field goals and uh, one Cooper Rush run for a touchdown against Monmouth. Um, it was just, they, I mean, they stored four offensive touchdowns, which, you know, fine, but it was, they, they didn't blow the doors off of them. So it, it is an offense that hasn't been super prolific into get, uh, in getting into the end zone. They do seem like they've been, you know, effective at, at moving the ball a bit, and um, their defense seems like it's been the slightly more interesting thing, especially early in that Oklahoma State game where they, were up early and they, you know, only held the Cowboys to 24 points for a team that runs a, a pretty dynamic offensive system. So I think um, if Central wants to pull the upset here, I think we're probably going to look at a, a more low-storing game. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird to say, but I think you're probably right. Last year we were kind of begging for teams to pull us into the mud a little bit because we wanted them to be there. Um, I think the Clemson game, kind of case in point, um, where, no, we never really thought we had a huge chance to win, but chance was never really gone either um, in the second half because of such a low score. Um, this year, I think, while we're not going to be a juggernaut or a high-scoring team like that, um, against Central, this does seem like the type of thing where us getting dragged into the mud probably means we're making mistakes, and that probably means we're not going to do well. Um, you know, Central's defense, however, I just don't know if they can... If they can hang, even without a power back, I don't know if they can hang with the speed that we're going to have out there. And this comes, you know, this will speak back to the multiplicity that Lester's pushed um, all offseason through the first couple games, that we have enough guys out there with some speed on the outside to keep legs fresh. Um, as long as Dungey can avoid taking any, you know, stupid hits. Um, I, I do like our chances here. And, and I like our chances to score more than 20, which should... I mean, not that it's a death knell for CMU, but it should make things a little more challenging for them, especially with no run game. Yeah, I, I feel pretty comfortable at this one. And uh, it is kind of mind-blowing that we haven't gone 3-0 since 1991. So hopefully this schedule shakes out um, and really helps us out. Because being 3-0 and to start the year, even with like a, an almost sure loss to LSU, um, really gets us in a, in, a, in a solid spot for the ACC. Um, and if we lose this one, I, we're in, we're in a whole lot of trouble. So it's, it's where we thought we would be and where we, uh, by all means should be based on the teams we've played so far, but, uh, it'll look pretty nice. It'll be good to get over that strange hurdle, um, that's lasted over 20 years now, which is crazy. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll be halfway to, uh, our, our goal. And, and I think that everyone can kind of be proud of that, even if it hasn't been the most strenuous start to the season, um, which obviously is something we advocate for. We should be setting ourselves up for success all the time. Um, and in years, and hopefully in follow years, we'll have uh, games like this, and our one-power conference team won't be against a you know top-ten opponent, but someone a little more beatable and a little more uh, we can be a little more competitive with. So hopefully uh, we'll have another fun one. We see some more 
flashes from Dungey and get excited about that. And uh, we'll have another celebratory podcast next week. I would very, very much hope so, because I do enjoy talking about Syracuse football after a win, much more than a loss. I also enjoy rewatching the games much more after a win than a loss. Um, not only that, um, I guess we'll kind of close on this note. Uh, and we don't have to go too far in. I think we've already kind of discussed the factors that create this. Um, Syracuse has been entertaining and immensely watchable, and I can't really say we've been able to, to really you know, rave about the type of football this team's playing since... I mean, you can maybe isolate the, the Boston College and uh, and Minnesota games from a couple of years ago. Um, no game last year at all. Uh, maybe the Central Michigan game, but even then, just a boring game. Um, yeah, I think you're looking back to the Nassib years and, and, and that, that, you know, 1-5-6 uh, string to end the season. I mean, this team's watchable. This team seems fun. They're overachieving um, based on advanced metrics. They are creating turnovers and scoring opportunities, and this is the type of football that we've been begging for, um, and, and I hope it continues. I know that the, that the wins um, I mean, should at least continue for one more week, um, but I, I do hope that you know, we can at least see some fun, fun football for the rest of the season. I totally agree. I mean, if we're going to go down, I'd rather uh, go down – you know, throwing the ball all over the place and, and trying to make some things happen with a, a young team than not. But obviously, I think we're, we're looking at a 3-0 start, so we can hold off those discussions for uh, for a good while before we start getting upset and, and worrying about that. I think this uh, this team looks so far like it can be competitive this year, and, and we I think we all uh, will be very happy if that's the case when we are like a month down the road and, and getting close to November and really find out where this team is, um, especially once when Hunt went down early in that first game. I don't think many of us felt all that great about our uh, projections going forward in that moment. So it's definitely nice to have a, a team that, that instills some hope, and especially not just for this year, but it does look like one that can be fun going forward because so many of the pieces will be around for a long while. Agreed. Um, and I guess it's a good way to end it. Um, Dan, thanks as always for joining. It's been a fun one. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, everyone else, thank you for listening. Uh, this is Troy Noon's Absolute Podcast. That was Dan. I'm John. Uh, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, everything else on iTunes, um, Blog Talk, everywhere else. Uh, much appreciated. And go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.